Welcome to City Talks by Ford. Conversations with experts working through the needs and challenges cities face today and how they're helping create safer, more accessible, and more sustainable mobility options for millions. Hi, and welcome back to City Talks by Ford, conversations with the experts working through the needs and challenges cities face today and how they're helping create safer, more accessible and more sustainable mobility options for millions. I'm your host, Andrew Winston, sustainability advisor, speaker and author of Net Positive. On today's show, I'm joined by the CFO and head of corporate development for Blade, Will Habern. Blade is a front runner in the exciting space of air mobility. Since 2014, they've been utilizing helicopters, amphibious seaplanes, and fixed-wing transportation services to combat congested ground transportation routes in the United States and India. He's here to give us a peek into the fascinating world of EVAs, or electric vertical aircraft. Will, thank you so much for joining us today. Andrew, thanks for having me on. So we're going to get into the cool technology, but can you just step back and tell us what's the need that Blade is filling? Where are people trying to get from and to that you guys are helping them do? We're trying to eliminate friction wherever it appears around the world. And in some cases, that's for people like me and you trying to get to and from airports or an NDR business is going between cities that are close together as the crow flies, but maybe not so close if you have to drive through a mountain. And then in the medical side of our business, it's it's organs that need to get to a transplant recipient as quickly as possible because that's going to have a real impact on the outcome. Yeah, I want to come back to that because that sounds really, really interesting. So what are I mean, you're talking about just normal trips to the airport. So what are people doing instead? This is just sitting in traffic or if there's a subway line. I mean, I live in the New York area and there is not a subway line really that gets <laughs> you to the airports. Right. So you're sitting in in cars. So this is an alternative way to get people off the road. Is that the main way of looking at it? Absolutely. It's it's one of the best use cases for urban air mobility because the airport is not so far away as the crow flies, but because you have to wait in line to get through the tunnel and all the roads are converging, it's a very long drive. It can be two, three hours to drive from Hudson Yards, where the Blade West teleport is, to JFK, and we transform that into a five-minute flight. So it's, yeah. it's a really excellent unit economic use case as well for the consumer because we pay by the minute when we fly. And so it actually doesn't cost all that much to take that trip via air. It's $195 to make that trip between JFK and Manhattan or $95 if you're one of our airport pass holders. That's less than some of the, the limos that you can take. I, I always wonder where, where the as the crow flies came from. I don't know why that's the bird we use, but I think about that. I live, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I live in Connecticut and I mean, if you flew it, LaGuardia is really close. Actually, the airport's really close, but it takes, you know, a good hour to get across the bridges and get over there. Yeah, as, as the pigeon flies might be more appropriate here in New York. But Yeah. <laughs> How did you get into this? What's your background? I, I know you were at something called Redbird Capital Partners, which has bird in the in the word, but that's probably not. Is that why? Was it an aerial-focused <laughs> business? <laughs> Redbird's made a bunch of great investments around the space, including Blade and, and one of our EVA partners, Electric Vertical Aircraft Partners, Beta Technologies. I actually first got interested in aviation growing up in Louisville, Kentucky. You know, my uncle ran the air show. That happened every year in Louisville. So I've always had the bug and I got a chance to start working on aviation for the first time when I was at Mollison Company and American Airlines went into bankruptcy. So I worked on that 
Chapter 11 case, worked on the merger with U.S. Airways and covered a lot of different industries throughout my career. But when I got the opportunity to, to jump back in, you always love getting to work in an industry that you're passionate about. So it, it was fun to get to take some of the technical skills I'd pick up and then apply it to something that I've always been interested in. Well, you must miss traveling over the last couple of years as everything got a lot slower, right? You know, we still travel, particularly when you're in the aviation industry. They keep having their conferences. <laughs> I guess they're talking their own book a little bit. That's funny. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I speak a lot at associations conferences and it started up again, right. now, especially in 2022. It's great to see. But there was definitely, you know, everything shut down for a while and was virtual. But I didn't think about the aviation folks. They're probably <laughs> chomping to get on planes and absolutely and go meet in person. Do the big guys, can they play a role in this? I mean, you talked about the merger and, and we're down to four, really four big airlines, right? In the U.S., I, I assume they're way too big to play a role in this. I mean, who's who's really in the game? I think I saw Uber is, has played in this space. They're definitely paying attention to it. And I think that's one of the amazing proof points of this is that everybody's paying attention to urban air mobility. Everybody sees it as a part of a broader solution for congestion. And you've seen some of the airlines even make preliminary orders for electric vertical aircraft. But for the most part, they seem to be approaching it via partnership. And We've had a partnership with American Airlines where when you land at JFK on your American Airlines flight, you can get picked up right on the jet bridge and driven across the tarmac to your waiting blade aircraft to go into the city. So you're back in Manhattan before most people have gotten the baggage claim when you use that service. It's a little bit of a different motion taking an urban air mobility flight versus taking a commercial airline flight. There's a whole lot in that platform layer that Blade puts together in terms of our terminals. We have three of them here in, in Manhattan. We've got more than 12 around the world, the customer service, the technology. And of course, we're asset light. We don't own or operate any of these aircraft. So really what we're focused on doing is aggregating those passengers to get the cost down as low as possible. Hmm. So you mentioned electric vertical aircraft. EV, I guess that's the acronym EVA. There's also EVTOL that people use. So I think we'll just we'll refer to EVA from now on. So can you draw a picture for us? I mean, people can picture helicopters, obviously, but this is you're talking about some new technologies and some new kinds of aircraft for making these short hops. What does it look like? Is this a big drone? You know, there's a lot of different models for what they could look like, and it really depends on who you ask, how they describe an electric vertical aircraft. We come from a, what I would describe as a more pragmatic school of thought here is that in a lot of ways for the beginning, these are more similar to electric helicopters than flying cars. They're going to be piloted. They're going to be operated by the same people that operate helicopters and small aircraft today. And they're going to be landing and taking off at places where helicopters land and take off. And so our approach has always been, let's create that ecosystem that works using conventional turbine aircraft today that has the requisite infrastructure and, and that has a customer that trusts what we do in terms of safety vetting and creating a great experience. And then as soon as this new technology is available and there's lots of really talented, brilliant people working on it, we'll be in a position to deploy it and deploy it profitably because over time, it should certainly be much less expensive. You have fewer moving parts. You have electricity as a fuel instead of jet A. There's a lot of reasons it should be less expensive, but it may not be a paradigm shift in cost on day one. And that's really what the Blade model is about is let's find those routes where the price is comparable, as you said earlier, to what you might be paying for a car here in New York so that you're not banking on a massive reduction in the cost of flying on day one in order to create a product that's compelling for the flyer. 
We talked about it as electric vertical, but you're right now talking about a traditional jet fuel powered vehicle, right? So, I mean, I guess, why are we using EVA as the acronym? Is is the goal of this that we're going to get to electric at some point? Is that where you're headed? Absolutely. And they're flying today. You know, one of our partners, Beta Technologies, the CEO of that company flies his electric vertical aircraft every single week. Uh, So the, the physics of this, the technical challenge, there's nothing new that needs to be invented in order to make this electric vertical aircraft future a reality. There are necessarily many hurdles to go through from a regulatory perspective and a certification and testing perspective. And that's why, you know, aviation is one of the safest activities in the world is because of all those steps. So folks like uh, our friends over at Beta are going through that process. And in the meantime, we're solving some of the other problems. You know, how do you get people from where you land at the airport to the commercial terminal? How do you create a great experience? How do you build technology that can manage 20, 30 aircraft in the air at the same time? And where do you land people in Manhattan? You know, these are pretty difficult challenges, too. And, you know, we get compared to Uber from time to time. But really, it's it's pretty different because when you think about Uber, you're chartering your own car. It's just for you. And once that technology has made the introduction to your driver, their work is done. With Blade, we're aggregating multiple flyers onto the same aircraft. Our staff are tarmac trained and safety trained to load and unload those aircraft at infrastructure locations where we operate a terminal. So there's a lot more between lip and cup, as they say, to create a great seamless urban air mobility experience. And we're preparing all of those parts of the story so that as soon as these aircraft are available, we'll be ready to start deploying them and, and lower costs over time for flyers. Yeah, as you talked about getting to an airport and then getting people to where they need to go from there, I mean, you're, you're starting to get into infrastructure and how easy it is to get around in multiple modes. So how much of a stake do you guys have in infrastructure spending and, you know, build back better bills around the world, not just in the U.S.? I mean, are you looking for particular kinds of investments that would make this easier? We hope that some of these stimulus funds are allocated towards new locations to take off and land for urban air mobility. However, our business model is not dependent on that. We're very strategically focused on areas that already have the requisite infrastructure to offer a great service that's going to be compelling to our flyers at the price we have to charge to make money on those routes today. We think people will invest a lot in new vertiports, but you know we're cautious around how long that might take. You look at any big infrastructure product in a major city, it just takes a while to go through the hoops and you know, you live in New York. We talk about this example a lot. You know, Barry Diller was trying to build a free park for the people of New York on the West Side Highway. And it took about 10 years because of the concerns about the safety of the eels in the Hudson River. There's a lot of hoops that you have to go through to even build things that everybody agrees on. And so our business model is really focused on let's build that great service today with the infrastructure that we have. And then over time, we think the communities, particularly as you transition to electric vertical aircraft, they'll see well, this, this aircraft is extremely quiet. Wow, this is zero carbon. Wow, this is a little bit less expensive. There's more redundancy in, in terms of the level of safety. And maybe you see more communities, whether it's Connecticut, whether it's suburbs, creating vertiports so that we can expand the service offering and have new use cases, whether it's commuting or whether it's connecting people to airports from people who maybe aren't so close to JFK or, or Newark. So we see it as a very gradual transition where you're going to be using traditional turbine aircraft for some missions, maybe the longer distance medical missions when we're going hospital to hospital, you'll still need something that has a little more endurance. But for shorter trips to airports or for a last mile trip that maybe we're going 
just from Peterborough into the city with only a, a heart as a payload, that could potentially be serviced by a drone for a quarter of the price. So we're really trying to aggregate what are those great use cases for urban air mobility, serve the customer extremely well today, but be in a position to start having everyone benefit from this new technology as soon as it's available. Yeah, I mean, we're, we've talked mostly about kind of personal use, right? I, I guess, except for the the hospitals and the organs, and let's come back to that. But what are some of the other commercial implications? I mean, obviously, the Amazons of the world have been talking about drones and started to use them. Do you see business travel? I mean, what are the things that you can imagine that that this would be used for when you get more of the vertiports, which is a new word for me, the vertiport. I've heard helipad, but vertiport sounds more flexible. What do you see companies using this for? Long term, the possibilities are endless. Cargo, commuting, connecting uh, city to city. You know, as battery technology improves, the technology to have an electric power plant, an electric engine for an aircraft already exists. It's really about battery technology improving. And when you see people investing in electric vehicles and electric aircraft, a lot of that money is going towards improving battery technology. So that'll float all boats, as they say, in the battery world. And it'll increase the endurance of these aircraft. It'll lower the cost and it'll create new opportunities to save people time and and eventually save them money on transportation. However, it could take a little while to get to the level of cost where you're delivering toilet paper to people in their backyards. And, And that's why we're focused on, you know, sort of that intersection of what are the use cases where you have the requisite infrastructure. So one of the beautiful things about the medical business, unlike our retail business, where frankly, there aren't that many cities that have great places to land helicopters or electric vertical aircraft, but hospitals almost all already have helipads. So you have the infrastructure problem solved. Mm. And then it's a matter of, do you have that urgency? Are you going to make a huge impact by saving time? And, you know, compare the medical use case to delivering toilet paper. Yeah, they both may have some urgency depending on what time you're looking at it. But in terms of the unit economics of of it making sense and someone having a willingness to pay to reduce that time in transit, you know, you don't see that except in a medical case where, you know, saving an hour moving a heart from A to B is actually going to improve the outcome for that patient. And in fact, you might have hospitals if they know that they can get somewhere one hour faster because they're not waiting to go through the Lincoln Tunnel they might actually attempt to retrieve a heart that otherwise would not go used, even though it was matched because they were worried about how long it would take to transport. So, you know, we're really focused on those slam dunk use cases for day one. And then over time, because people are using the technology, because there is a use case, because there is a a business case, naturally the costs will go down. And then someday you will be seeing some cargo delivered in your backyard, but that comes in the future. So let's talk about the organ stuff. So right now, there's probably a small pool of helicopters, right? That work for hospitals and go back and forth. I mean, so what happens, this is a, there's an organ transplant opportunity and they basically pull up your app. It's kind of like calling an Uber for getting the heart around. We're now the largest dedicated air transporter of human organs in the United States. Hmm. It's a business we've really leaned into and we're pretty unique in the industry because organ transportation, a lot of times you're talking about a, a 10 pound box that's not so big. So we can use the same aircraft you would use for a passenger mission to transport organs. And that creates incredible economies of scale in terms of being able to lower the cost of flying for these hospitals. And and because of the significance of our retail business, we have access to many more kinds of aircraft. And one of the things we noticed when we started getting into the organ transportation business 
is most of the time we weren't competing against any other business that looked something like Blade. You know, I like to say a lot of the times we were competing against a post-it note that had three or four phone numbers on it. And each phone number was somebody who operated a couple of aircraft. And if you operate one Gulfstream 5, every day is a pretty good day to fly a Gulfstream 5. (laughs) But that might not actually make sense if you're going, for example, from New York to Philadelphia. That's a pretty big aircraft for a pretty short trip. And we discovered that a lot of hospitals might have been spending $25,000 for that New York to Philadelphia trip. And because they needed an ambulance on either end and they were getting routed for the jet routing, it was a two and a half hour trip. And we can do that with a direct helicopter going hospital roof to hospital roof and 30 minutes for $4,000. And so we were able to save hospitals time and money because of the breadth of access to aircraft that we have. And we're extremely focused on that mission because of the last mile component. Whether you're using a direct helicopter rooftop to rooftop or whether you're going a longer distance and so you do need a plane, there's always a last mile component that is arranged by Blade and it's serviced either by a helicopter or by an ambulance. That's the part of the mission that we see potentially is the first use case for drone transport. Because hospitals are already paying so much, it could cost as much as $2,000 to take the 30-minute trip from Teterboro Airport here in New York into one of the hospitals. The unit economics makes sense in terms of taking that to the air. We can do a helicopter transport for less Mm. than that believe it or not, just because of the scale we have here. And so we're very focused on creating a pathway to use electric transportation for that mission. And we think it's going to have a huge impact in terms of actually improving the outcome for folks. Let me put on my sustainability hat because we're fighting climate change, inequality, you know, needing to improve people's well-being around the world. And this solution for healthcare certainly does that. It improves well-being. It allows people potentially to save lives, right? But if I kind of thought about the carbon footprint, I mean, if you said, okay, let's move a couple people to an airport, that sounds pretty energy intensive, right? To do that as a way to get people from one place to another. What's the kind of carbon footprint story here? How do you make the case for this as not just a huge expansion? Well, you have to first focus on the end goal, which is electric flight that is zero carbon and is quiet. And, and that's what we're aiming for. In the meantime, though, I think there's a misconception a little bit around the potential for efficiency in aircraft. These are helicopters that are extremely efficient and they're not flying very far. So if you think about flying from Manhattan to JFK, it's a five minute flight and a helicopter that we use with six seats maybe burns 40 gallons of fuel an hour. So it's if you compare that to the amount of fuel you would use in an SUV by yourself, you know, by our math, a full helicopter is actually burning less fuel than you are in an SUV by yourself traveling to one of these airports. And then we're very focused on this issue. You're absolutely right. And so in the meantime, until we transition to electric, we are buying carbon offsets for all of our urban air mobility business. So we're trying to create that transition phase. And we feel really strongly that the transition phase needs to exist because if you don't demonstrate the commercial use case for urban air mobility, if you don't show people there are customers here, there are benefits here, there are routes that make sense, there are more hours you can create in people's lives or better outcomes you can create for patients, then you're never going to see the investment in the space. And that's been one of the most amazing things to watch recently is you look across the landscape of the capital markets. You know, we've kind of in America created our own little version of Operation Warp Speed for electric flight recently. Mm. Billions of dollars, you know, more than $8 billion have been invested and all sorts of brilliant people with great designs 
to create the electric vertical aircraft of the future. So we got a lot of at-bats right now. And I really believe that Blade in our own way has contributed to that because we're focused on showing people there's a use case for this. There's a customer for this. And ultimately, there's a way to make money. And now you've seen incredibly brilliant investors decide, okay, we're going to make that bet. And they're very brave because not not all of those designs are going to be the winner. Not all those designs are going to be perfect for every use case. But that's what I love about America and the capital markets is that people are excited about that. They want to invest in that. They want to see a winner. And you see a lot of investors invest across all these different potential EVA designs and different companies. And so I think that makes this outcome where we do have a great commercial aircraft that's carbon free and quiet. It makes that outcome much more likely and much more likely to come soon. Yeah. So the battery technology improvement is kind of remarkable. I mean, I've been following this space for a long time, just clean energy and the the kind of exponentially dropping prices for a long time. And it wasn't that long ago that it seemed like you could only move a pretty small vehicle around on an electric battery. And then China started buying 10,000 electric buses every month or two. And you see Amazon and FedEx and others committing to you know tens or hundreds of thousands of pretty heavy vehicles for delivering stuff that will be electric. But planes also seemed like, oh, there's no way you could fly with electric. It sounds like, at least from what I've seen, that the ideas and what you can do for vehicles you know, using electric are getting bigger, right? They're thinking now we can probably power a larger plane. So it sounds like within the range of your use, you're safe, right? For any size that you might need for at this scale. Is that right? I mean, you could be full EV at a, a helicopter size. Yeah, that's exactly our strategy is to focus on the routes, the distances, the payloads that are going to make sense for a first generation electric vertical aircraft. And, you know, the analogy we use around here sometimes is we think it's a little bit like Netflix when they first got started. They were putting DVDs and bags in the mail, right? right. It wasn't super high tech. But in the process of doing that, they acquired great content. They acquired customers. They built an incredible brand. They built all the pieces of their business. And then when streaming came along, they had already built the market for streaming video. They were already the market leader. And so helicopters are kind of our DVDs and bags in the mail. <laughs> it's not perfect. There's some drawbacks. But when electric vertical aircraft come along, when electric flight is here, we're going to have the the use case for that technology. And in the meantime, we're focused on places where we can make money with the technology that's available to us today. So what are the markets? I know you led an expansion to, you mentioned before, the kind of $195 Manhattan to airport service. You guys are doing some work in India, right? So what markets are you looking at and what ones make sense? So right now, very big presence in New York, as you're aware, very big presence in Vancouver, flying between Vancouver Harbor and Victoria primarily. In India, we fly between Mumbai, Pune, and Shirdi. And in the medical business, we're in 16 states across the U.S. So we're focused on, you know... We say it's an inch wide and a mile deep. There are not an unlimited number of cities today that have the requisite infrastructure and have a a route that's going to make sense for vertical transport. You can't just put dots on the globe and say you're going to be in all these places for a lot of reasons. However, there are huge addressable markets in these places where we are focused. If you look in New York, pre-COVID, 27 million people are traveling between Manhattan and the three commercial airports that serve the city. So it's a massive market, and there are three heliports plus a seaplane base here. So you have great infrastructure to service that demand. So 
we see a huge opportunity in the near term to take better advantage of what already exists. And then over time, we hope, particularly again, once we introduce these electric vertical aircraft, the communities will see the benefits. They'll realize they don't have to make trade-offs in terms of noise, and they may be able to get this transportation at a lower cost, and they're going to want to create new places to land, and, and we'll be poised to help them do that. Are there any issues with kind of getting airspace, and how does the FAA get involved in all this? I mean, if you're going to get to scale, right, it's a lot of potential vehicles arriving at an airport, which already has a lot of airspace issues. How is that being worked through? So it's a different part of the airspace. So you're never really flying except in poor weather conditions in the same airspace that uh, that a commercial airliner would fly in. So that helps a lot. But really, the, the challenge there is going to be uh, when it becomes time to transition away from piloted flight. And we think that's a long way into the future. It requires a complete redesign of the air traffic control system. It requires an ability to coexist with pilots that are flying visual in the same airspace. There's a lot of hurdles to jump. And frankly, we think people like having a pilot in their aircraft. So, you know, again, we're, we're very path of least resistance. Hmm. We're focused on a path to deployment for electric vertical aircraft where the same people that are flying and maintaining our helicopters today that, that Blade uses will be the ones flying and maintaining these electric vertical aircraft. And, and we think that is the smoothest path with the fewest bumps hmm. to get people this carbon neutral quiet aircraft that's going to be lower cost. So we're not really near the uh, the futuristic Blade Runner highway in the sky of autonomous vehicles driving you around. I mean, that's the picture we've had for years and years. Sounds like that's a little ways off. It will happen someday because the physics of this work. You can do it. Battery technology will improve. Costs will go down over time, but it's not going to happen overnight. And I think that's where Blade is a little bit different, that we're really focused on What's going to happen on day one? What's mm. the mission we can serve on day one? And how do we build that path for the industry to the Blade Runner future you're talking about, which could be decades away? Without the post-apocalyptic. Yeah, you know, without the post-apocalyptic. Yeah, maybe we'll be careful about building paths to Blade Runner. <laughs> I guess more the we want the Jetsons more than we want Blade Runner. Right. So let's end with a couple kind of quick, big picture, thinking forward questions. What do you think are the kind of implications for society of having EVAs running? What, how does this enhance kind of the whole mobility ecosystem? It's part of that multimodal ecosystem. It's not the solution. It's a solution. And we look a lot in our backyard here at our office in Hudson Yards at the heliport. And we have people that take their electric scooters to the Blade terminal here and, and leave them and come back and take their scooters. We have people taking city bikes and docking them. It's about what's the appropriate mode for the mission you have on that day. And, and some days it, it may be an electric vertical aircraft. Other days it, it may be a bike and other times it may be a train. And so it's a part of that overall patchwork of ways you can get around. It's much easier to set up, frankly than it is to tunnel a new train tunnel mm -hmm. to get you from, from A to B. So there's some advantages in terms of speed to market, but it's never going to be the extremely high throughput. You're not going to replace public transportation uh, root and branch with something like this. It's one of the options. Yeah. We ask everybody this at the end to kind of imagine, you know, 20 years forward, you're looking out your window at Hudson Yards or at an airport. What are you going to see? I think you're going to see a way to go directly from Manhattan to other cities nearby, maybe as far as Chicago, certainly places like Boston and D.C. 
in an hour to one of those sorts of places. And you're going to see some folks commuting directly into Manhattan, not just at the heliports we currently have, but at a few additional locations that the community will have decided are going to be beneficial. I I don't think you're going to be landing on every rooftop, (laughs) but I do think you're going to see a much more impressive and expanded network of infrastructure. But more importantly than what you're going to see is what you're going to hear, which is the sound of very quiet aircraft landing and taking off that's going to be generating less noise than the garbage truck that's outside your front door. I'm trying to imagine maybe a flying electric garbage truck. That would be (laughs) nice. All right. Well, thank you so much. Well, this was really interesting and fun. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Andrew. Thank you for having me on. A huge thanks to Will for taking the time to be on the show and telling us why the future of mobility is looking up. Please remember to subscribe if you haven't already and check out our back catalog for more fascinating conversations on the future of mobility. I'm Andrew Winston, and this has been City Talks by Ford.